0: Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard
2: Serrett.
1: Hey, Robert, welcome back. How are you?
2: Hey, Richard. Thanks for having me back on. It's my pleasure to be here, and uh, I'm looking forward to it.
1: When you're looking for occult symbolism in a movie, what types of occult symbolism are we talking about? Is it varied? Is there one that's more common than others? Are we talking about the Kabbalah? Are we talking about. Hermetic tradition.
2: Yeah, it's a it's a great question. You're really looking for any and all of it When I analyze a movie one of the first things I try to get a handle on is what kind of film are we talking about? Here is this a Gnostic movie is this alchemical it's a little of both is it is it using symbols? Is it using themes is it using symbolism? I mean what type are we talking? You know it it can be very subtle. It can be everything from music to a color scheme to costuming I mean this is all in the it, it could be a symbol um, I mean, it could be something hanging on a wall, uh, a picture. Um, th- so th- this all comes into play and these are, these are things that you always have to be constantly on the lookout for. Some movies are much more complex than others. Um, and I know, I don't, I don't know if I would say there's one that prevails more than other. Um, I, I guess the one, the one move type of movie that always seems to stand out to me is is uh the gnostic theme um and i guess this has to do with the uh, idea of self-awakening and and the idea of a of, of the person just your average day protagonist undergoing some sort of uh epiphany to realize there, there's something more and i, I guess that's very popular because i think audiences could really relate to that um but no uh, i mean you know you you're definitely dealing with i mean you're doing things that overlap you definitely have um elements of kabbalah of, I mean, you know, you know, when you're dealing with Kabbalah, you could be dealing with, with several things. You could be dealing with um, sort of spheres of initiation, um, tests or trials of the soul, as it were, um, to progress towards some sort of inner wisdom. Uh, this this sometimes runs parallel with what Joseph Campbell called the road, road of trials element in the monomyth, that's always probably one of the most popular elements The sort of the test, um, of the, the hero or the heroine must undergo. So, um, you know, it's, 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 I, I would say for me when I watch it, it's, um, you know, trying kind of, the first thing I try to do is get a grip on what type of movie I'm dealing with here. And, you know, again, it can be more than one theme. And then once I kind of get a handle on that, then it's, you know, then I can really go to work and, um, you know, break down what what I'm looking for. Some are very complex. Uh, For example, I was just talking to somebody. One of the movies that I took on um, in this book, and you, you could write a whole book about this movie itself, was Midsommar. Uh, by Ari Aster and, and what makes that movie so dense and so complex is you think you got a handle on it um, I mean you can analyze it you can just you know go through the story and then analyze it but then there's a whole nother analysis that you have to do with the the uh, Futhark runes the elder and younger Futhark uh, that turn up in that movie because they they're intentionally placed um, And each one of the runes when they appear denotes something going on in the movie so then you have to do that analysis with the runes so very complex
1: and why do movie uh, producers or directors or whoever is in ch- who, whoever decides to insert a particular occult symbol? Why do they do it? Just to add an interesting layer to the film for people like you to find that little Easter egg, or are they trying to communicate something subliminally? Subliminally.
2: Uh, yeah, I think it's. I think it's multiple reasons. Um, you know, I'm not a movie maker, so I can't say for certain but I do write books and I can say when I'm writing books I try to insert little innuendos and clues and little codes sometimes into my work um, that you know maybe only certain people can pick up on or people I tell people to look for them maybe they can try to you know solve a riddle so I think it's multi-layered I, th- I think it adds an element of mythology to the film I think it elevates the film um, I, <clears throat> I think it elevates the film <coughs> excuse me on a um, entertainment standpoint um, but you could actually craft an argument um, some people say it's mind control. I don't know if I, I fully buy into that. You could argue that it, it's, it's a spiritual element. Whether it's used for positive or negative reasons is debatable. Um, Certainly you could craft an argument both ways. You could say it's a form of tapping into our subconscious and manipulating us. Or you could could argue it the other way and say, you know, these archetypes come out of the hermetic tradition. The hermetic tradition holds that these are divine, that these come from the cosmos. They're part of the one world soul. Um, And that understanding the archetypes and understanding this world of symbolism brings one closer to the godhead so by watching them in a film you may be undergoing uh you know becoming more enlightened as it were um you may not be aware of it like you said it could be subliminal but that's uh, another element so um to to take into consideration so I think it's multi-layered and I think I think uh, movie movie makers like to do it um to you know like you said there could be an easter egg element to see if the adroit movie fan could spot it uh can spot an homage that they're referencing um i've done that in some of my books sometimes so um you know you're you're dealing with uh filmmakers who take this very seriously they want to create a mythology um they view their movies as works of art they view them they view them more as just more than mere entertainment and um they want them to stand out and what better way to do that than to add multiple layers to it symbolism themes characters Um, anytime you can tap into the world of the occult and um, bring it into your your craft um, it's it's elevated one way or another. Uh, I mean, like I said, this is um, nothing new. Uh, you know, I, I've been on other shows, and I'm sure I've mentioned it with you. This is nothing new to Hollywood. Um, you will find this in the works of Edgar Allan Poe, um, who is obsessed with mesmerism. You will find Gnosticism pervading the works of Herman Melville, um, Shakespeare. You have witches, goblins, ghosts all over the place. We have the Illuminati and Masonic symbolism in Mozart's Magic Flute. So uh, this is nothing new to hollywood
1: uh all right so we are approaching the 20th anniversary of 9-11 and you have a couple of sections in the book talking about 9-11 like imitating art where 9-11 conspirators the 9-11 conspirators used the film spies like us to carry out a controlled demolition explain
2: yeah, the, the, the one thing that's always fascinated with the 9-11 motifs is, is, how, is, is how before the event there's movies that um, seem to lead up and for, prophesize the actual event. One of the things that has always intrigued me was, and, and this comes from the world of conspiracy, as you know, is um, many people believe that 9-11, and I'm just speculating here. I mean, this is just me taking a step back. Whether you agree with this or not, I'm just I'm putting this out there. Um, many people believe, of course, as you know, that 9-11 was a a, a inside job um, and that the um, buildings were brought down in a controlled demolition. Um, and this would be the three buildings. This would, of course, be World Trade Center one, two, and I believe it was seven was the other building that came down later in the day. Um, And the theory is that planes struck the building, Um, planes, uh, an airplane struck the uh, world, um, the uh, Empire State Building in the 1920s or 30s, I believe, and it didn't come crashing down. So the buildings, you know, you know, how did the buildings come down? And of course, we can debate this all night. Some people say they should have stood, the top should have just slid off. Nevertheless, the buildings seem to come down on themselves, which seems to do sort of defy some of Newton's uh, theories, as it were. And it there does seem to be, you know, if you look at the videos over and over, and over again it does seem that those buildings seem to be demolished you know with a, with a controlled demolition yeah, and this is a collapsed
1: within their own footprint
2: right they collapsed within their own footprint if 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 the top portions were going to fall off they'd follow the path of least resistance and just slide off to the side but the buildings come down in exactly as you said in your own footprint in their own footprint and this is especially true with the the building later in the day um which is uh building seven which actually see the crimp go up the side of the building i mean that completely looks like a controlled demolition in fact one of the guys i can't remember who was the owner said the building was pulled later in the day which is of course the term uh for a controlled demolition so i've always wondered well let's hypothetically say this is true and this was the case um this begs the next question is well if you're going to do that then then the next question is how did the, how was this carried out? And of course, the question answers itself. Well, you have to get into those buildings, you have to get into those towers, and um, plant, you know, explosion explosives, you know, thermite thermite cutting devices inside the buildings and inside the support columns and the load bearing members. As it turns out, um, when I was looking into this, um, and I this stunned me when I found this. There was um, a major elevator renovation going on in the World Trade Centers, um, starting in January of 01 and concluding right before 9-11. And my immediate reaction was to this is, um, if you're going to have someone come in and fix your elevator, the company you would obviously call would be Otis Elevator Company or Otis Elevator Company. Right. Um, They're the biggie in the United States. They do all of them turns out the company that did this was called the eighth elevator company and when I saw that I just couldn't believe it because my immediate I immediately remembered this movie um, from 1985 called spies like us it was a comedy it starred Dan Aykroyd and Chevy Chase I remember it and, and w- with a cameo
1: movie, from Bob Hope
2: that's correct and if you remember that film the government wet works um, black operatives who were the ones going around doing all the dirty deeds for the government was called, believe it or not, the Ace Tomato Company. <laughs> and you could just see the parallels with the two names, Ace Elevator Company, Ace Tomato Company. And I thought, God, that's that's really strange. I just couldn't help but think to myself, God, God, is this really a case of life imitating art um, whoever decided, you know, if this was truly an inside job, that they took inspiration from this movie from 1985 to create a, a dummy company, which has subsequently completely disappeared, called Ace Elevator Company, naming it after the Ace Tomato Company from spies like us. I just was fascinated by that. And I thought that was really, really interesting. And um, it just makes your head scratch because believe, you know, like I said, believe it or not, there really was this company called Ace Elevator Company, which has vanished, that did the, that, that had access to the elevators. Um, and this would have been the company, of course, that if this was a black operative, you know, if these were black ops, they would have had complete access to the support columns, the, you know, load-bearing members, and could have easily have planted, uh, you know, thermite cutting charges to bring the buildings down into controlled demolition. So it's just, uh, I mean, I'm not saying that's what happened, but I'm saying, it, it, it strikes me as odd. It, it raised my eyebrows when I was reading about it and was looking into it because the first thing I thought of was I was like, oh, I remember this. This is the this is coming from the Ace Tomato Company. Whoever is orchestrating this obviously saw that movie and uh, must have taken inspiration from it. Uh, very negatively, of course. Right. But um, like I said, it's a case of uh, art. You know, life imitating art, as it were.
1: You also found some 9/11 imaging in other films like Vanilla Sky
2: absolutely um, it is it is astounding to me and I've been on I believe your show and I know I've been on other shows of course talking about this some of the 9-11 imagery and um, there, there is there's um, you know we, we've talked about the matrix of course and then you get Fight Club um, which has the buildings coming down at the end and there's the one where they blow up the uh, the uh, court piece of corporate art that looks like the sphere outside the World Trade Center's that was uh, demolished by the uh, space monkeys of course and then you have the Patriot is the other one. And then you actually had, um, there's two of them. There's vanilla sky, which is really astounding. Um, vanilla sky was actually released, um, after nine 11, I believe it came out in December of one. Um, I forget, I think I forget it was, it was Cameron Crowe, I believe was the director. Um, it's a very poignant movie. It's very kind of depressing. Um, it, ha- it has loads of Gnostic themes in it. It's a Gnostic film. It's right up there with the matrix. And, um, there's a scene. This was, of course, all filmed before nine eleven. There's a scene um, at the very end of it, and I will spoil the movie now. So if you've never seen Vanilla <laughs> Sky, you could, you know, mute this or whatever. But movie's twenty years old, so whatever. Um, the the Tom Cruise character. Um, goes to the top in New York City goes to the top of this super tall skyscraper and he has to leap off um, in order to obtain consciousness and and right there in front of him is the World Trade Centers and when you see the scene it's very poignant um, it's very sad because when you watch it I mean the first thing you will think of is these poor people um, leaping off off the World Trade Centers to their death it's what it looks like um, when, when you watch the movie it'll be the first thing that comes to your mind um, and this was filmed before 9-11 and um, when they released it in December of 01, uh, there was a lot of pressure on the studio and Cameron Crowe to cut that scene out. Um, it's the very end of the movie. It, it, it's actually the end of the movie. And uh, he didn't. He, he didn't. He said, no, it's part of the film. It's the way it's supposed to end. And I'm, I'm glad they didn't cut it out. But um, certainly that is uh, something that is just astounding when you see it. Uh, and then another movie that came out right at that same time. It came out after 9-11, about a month later. Um <clears throat> but it was filmed beforehand was Donnie Darko. Um, and that also deals with aircraft imagery. Um, there's a scene in it where an aircraft engine crashes through his bedroom and comes to an American flag. Um, and, and I believe um, Richard Kelly, who was the director, actually blamed, blamed that scene um, for the movie not doing well because of, it, it involves a plane crash. Um, and uh, he, he, he always thought that one of the reasons the movie didn't do financially well at the box office was because of the 9-11 imagery in the film. Um, and again, he didn't pull it out either. Um, it, it, the movie actually was released after 9-11 but of course it was all filmed beforehand so what does so that
1: work there is that predict what we call predictive programming uh, and if if so what how does that work do you think
2: yeah it's 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 just a, it's just a great question you can really wrestle with it I, I do find it a little hard to believe that people in Hollywood could see the future um, so it does beg the question of how, how this imagery is is you know is this a subconscious thing how this imagery is appearing um, in these in these films, uh, especially with the 9-11 imagery, which is just so, so profound. Um, it, it really does stand out. I mean, Richard, it, it is quite astounding when you study it. Um, I've proposed the theory that it's, uh, it's 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 the work of it's it's the collective unconscious. It's some sort of um, uh, subconscious mechanism that. in in artwork that seems to be prophesizing, that seems to be predictive. Um, That's really the best thing I can come up with. I mean, I do find it hard to believe that people in Hollywood could see the future or have a crystal ball. Um, But nevertheless, this imagery is in there. What is somewhat strange about this is, and again, I don't know if this is synchronicity, um, that's what Jung called it, is you do have, I mean, this is, you can document this. I mean, I mentioned in the book, um, in the latest book, is at the turn of the millennium, in that you had that five-year frame, um, you know, between about 1997 and 2001, maybe going into 02, where you had this slate, this just overload of these Gnostic movies being released um, that contain a lot of this 9-11 imagery uh, that, that, you know, that just have to deal with the awakening to consciousness and uh, having, you know, this epiphany and coming to reality, and uh, an awakening a spiritual awakening i mean it's all the movies we always wind up talking about it's the matrix vanilla sky donnie darko the truman show fight club dark city uh the 13th floor uh existence um, these, all these movies, all these Gnostic movies that seem to predict 9-11 all came out in this five year period from 1997 again to 0102, I mean and it is quite startling and it is strange and I don't know if it was planned I mean it's there and I don't know if this has to do with the turning of the millennium, I've, I've argued in the book it could be an astrological shift in the per- platonic year from the end of Pisces to Aquarius that seems to be possible also, <clears throat> so um but what i do say in the book in my opinion i mean is that it's 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 to me it's it's this idea of creating artwork and expressing yourself and making a movie that the filmmakers are unbeknownst to even them are becoming are putting things in their movies that they're not even aware of that are predictive um and i you know, it's it's a subconscious mechanism. This is what Jung talked about. This is what the right. um, psychiatrist Carl Jung talked about. Is it, this whole idea of this collective unconscious? This this subconscious trove of memories that we share together collectively. um And what I say in the book is 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 not only does it reflect the past, could this somehow be predictive? Is this some somehow pre- a predictive mechanism? Yeah. And when we create, is this somehow? This, 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 the prophecy turning up in the cinema. It
1: it reminds me of what Paul McCartney has described in his songwriting process. I remember him talking about the song Band on the Run, and he said, Well, the song in writing itself, he very clearly said that the song in writing itself, and he's talked about being more of a a receiver, right? um, And that these songs. You know they come out of the ether at least the best ones do um and so that he's not really responsible for them so maybe it's the same thing with filmmaking that they are as artists you know using different parts of their brain different hemispheres of their brain and so forth they're wired a little differently maybe maybe that's what's happening they're receiving as you say it's almost like i don't know quantum physics
2: Oh, absolutely! Um, it, it, it's I, you, you hear you hear artists talking about this all the time. Um, there was in the the song um, "Sweet Home Alabama" um, by Leonard Skinnerd. I was I was um, listening to an interview with the uh, I believe the guitarist, and he said he dreamt the riff. He said that guitar riff came riff riff came, came completely to me in a dream, um, and he said he woke up and wrote it down. Um, the artist um, uh, Robert Palmer had that song in the 1980s Um, I can't remember but he said that came to him in a dream and he woke up and just wrote it down Uh, so yeah I mean it's it it is odd when when you start getting into the world of you know when you start getting into creating um, and producing artwork you do seem to tap into this um, subconscious whatever you want to call it ethereal realm that I think can influence you I do not dispute that i mean Jung talked about this i mean mm-hmm. he talked about you know this you know achieving higher consciousness that when you become aware of these archetypes i mean this is goes into the hermetic tradition that when you become aware of these archetypes and these symbols and you can talk and you can decipher them i mean you you, you get into christian mystics talked about this people like Jakob berm and emmanuel schwettenberg he, he comes to mind he said that when you when you understand the world's symbols and you understand these archetypes coming out of the cosmos you are tapped into this new spiritual realm of the divine. Um, and you can receive dream visions and things like that um, Meister Eckhart the the mystic also talked about this so yeah this definitely comes out of the uh, you know hermetic tradition um, mystical Christianity Kabbalah um, no doubt about it uh, you know psychology so yeah I mean it's it definitely could account for it i I, I think you're on to something there
1: all right so staying with the theme of predictive programming or whatever it is uh
2: mm. we're,
1: we're talking about here um in in yes. joker uh yes. joaquin phoenix's portrayal of of joker uh donald trump um of course was was impeached over this supposed inappropriate phone call with the uh, the president ukraine. of ukraine and you're saying that you found that this was i haven't seen the movie uh this was hinted at his impeachment over the Ukrainian phone call was hinted at in Joker.
2: There's a couple things that are hinted at in Joker. Um, that's not the only one. The whole thing with the chaos in the streets in the streets is it was. I mean, a few months later, you had the uh, the the riots here because of the George the George Floyd Floyd incident. Um, you'll find that element in Joker. The the character of in Joker um, that is a complete uh, uh, Donald Trump analog is um, the Thomas Wayne character, who's, who's Bruce Wayne's father. And um, he's running for mayor of Gotham. And, he's, and the, whole, the whole theme is he wants to save Gotham. He's the Gotham savior. Um, and he's a complete dom. He's a you know a millionaire. He he represents the Donald Trump analog. And there's a scene in it, it's very brief where uh, uh, Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker is looking at a newspaper and it says problems with the Ukraine. And I I, I just couldn't help but think of that connection with the, the Thomas Wayne character with Donald Trump. Um, and this was a couple months, This was only a couple months before the whole impeachment over the Ukraine f- phone call um, with the president of the Ukraine. And then you have it right in the Joker movie. You have this clear Donald Trump analog um, with Thomas Wayne. And then you have this little flash on the on the newspaper says problems with the Ukraine. Uh, the the movie takes place in the eighties, and it's it, it was probably put in there as a like like reference to uh, Chernobyl, but I mean it was just synced perfectly to Trump and to D- Thomas Wayne as this Trump analog. And when you watch the movie, you when when you watch when it occurred uh, when the movie came out, um, it seems to predict the whole George Floyd. Uh, you know, riots and stuff like that. So yeah, Joker, um, you know, again, this is, this is again, another one of those movies that has a lot of mystical, um themes in it the whole movie is alchemical i mean it has to do with the transition of themselves of the self of this guy going being placed inside of uh, athenor in a athenor or a crucible this joaquin phoenix character and he starts off as this failed comic and winds up as this super criminal known as the joker so you have this alchemical transition of him from one thing to another um the movie runs parallel also and of course this is one of my favorites with black swan um and I point out the similarities. If, if if you pay attention to it, you will see a ton um, of similarities between Black Swan and Joker. Um, they, they run The movies almost run parallel.
1: Fascinating. Staying with Donald Trump, there's some prophecy uh, regarding Trump in the Lego movie.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, that, that one's astounding. Um, and again, this is another one of those Gnostic movies. When you watch, this is the first Lego movie. I think it came out in 13 or 14. Um, maybe it was 11 or 12. I can't recall. Um, the, the, the movie is essentially a remake of The Matrix. Um, it's essentially almost an exact remake of the very first Matrix movie. But there's a character in there who is completely supposed to be Donald Trump named um, uh, President Business. Uh, he, he's, he, he starts out as – I can't remember what he starts out as, but he winds up as President Business. He becomes president. I mean the parallels between this character – um, and Trump are astounding, he wants to build walls around everything he refers to his detractors as snowflakes um, it, it's quite amazing that this movie came out years earlier um, and then the, one of the other things with Trump that came out that same time was he made a commercial, um, I think I may have mentioned this with you, with the of mattress um, where where he's in his hotel and um, he has these new of mattresses and the sheep are complaining that they're going to be put out of work, uh, he says no I got, I got a job for you guys and he puts them outside the room as guards and they have numbers on them um and the numbers are 11 9 right. um the number 11 and number 9 and this is of course november 9th when he became president um so i thought that was very uh very interesting as well um but yeah the lego movie if you watch the president business character that is a complete foretelling of donald trump um complete prophesizing of trump years before he ran for president it's quite astounding
1: how do you watch a movie do you have to watch it once all the way through without stopping, and then you go back and you write little notes with time code. How do you pick all these stuff? Pick it all up?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, it, 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 the movie has to be watched. For starters, I can tell you a couple things. The movie cannot be analyzed in a movie theater. Um, I mean, you know, you you can't take notes and pay attention and 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 pause and stop. I mean, you may be able to pick up on a, a something generally like a theme, but. Um, usually I have to do this once the blu-ray or the DVD is out with the blu-ray in my case or soon to be the 4k I suppose you know these they keep upgrading these things um, the way I do it is I watch it I make notes I usually make notes on my computer sometimes I write it down um, and I see what I can pick up one I, I there are things I look for uh, music costuming the actor themselves Um, You know, the actor themselves could be designed to draw in something from an earlier performance and transfer it to this new movie. Same with music, uh, color schemes, costuming. Um, Some movies are much more um, lengthy than others. I I always tell people, I said, you know, one of the most, most symbolic movies I just mentioned it that I've ever watched was Black Swan. And I'm almost at this point in time, Richard, to be brutally honest with you, I'm almost like afraid to watch it. And what I mean by that is. I'm not scared of the movie or anything, but I know that if I watch it again, I'm likely to see something new. Um, really it's, it's amazing. You know, when you go back and watch them and you, you you will pick up on other things that, Oh, like, you know, I really thought I nailed everything and, uh, I pinned it down. I mean, I must've watched midsommar. I don't know how many times. And, uh, you know, I really, really think I, in the book, I mean, I, I I think the, the page count on the midsommar section alone is probably around 75, maybe 80 pages. And, um, I mean I really think I nailed it down I mean I, I think so anyway but you know it's always in the back of my head oh, if I put this movie on am I gonna pick up on something else that I miss but I guess that's what cinema symbolism for will be for but um no I, I watch them I watch them more than once of course and uh, I make notes and then I start putting it together and uh, you know you know why if I, if, I, if I have it what 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 can be I guess a little time-consuming and not I wouldn't say frustrating but time consuming is if I if I'm watching if I'm writing it and I need to access it real quick if, if a scene jumps into my head and I think oh wait a minute I need to watch that again um, sometimes you know call me lazy getting up putting the disc in the blu-ray I got to turn it on I got to go through the previews scan through the previews get to the movie pull it up sometimes if that scenes on YouTube that helps me big time Uh, Like if I'm looking looking for the end of the movie or something like that, I'll say, oh, just check YouTube, see if that scene's there, and uh, then I can just watch it real fast. But no, I I, I watch the movies more than once. I make notes on them. Um, I always try to keep my eyes peeled. When when I pick up on a theme, um, that helps – Um, if I know I'm dealing with something dealing with alchemy or Gnosticism or Kabbalah um, that helps a lot then I can really hone in and uh, you know like I said it's uh, one of those things where it's almost a never-ending study because I know if I throw in Midsommar or Black Swan or you know The Shining or something like that I'm probably going to see something new
1: Uh, you mentioned this in passing and I think we've talked about it previously but I'd like to revisit occult casting what is that
2: yeah, that, that that this is something that I've I've my opinion on this has altered a little bit, and it's 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 um, I think I, I think I understand it a little bit better when I was writing cinema symbolism three. I, I think I understand what these movie makers are really going for with this. What what this is really more akin to it, it's I didn't describe it poorly before. I was right on the money, but it's really more akin to what what the hermeticists would call the art of memory. Um, and what this is is. Is when a actor, excuse me, when a director will will cast a certain actor in a film, um, and it will, and the appearance of that actor will trigger a memory um, in your mind, and consciously or subconsciously, transfer that imagery or that those themes from this actor's past film into this new one so like i said I, i've been on this before one of the great examples of this is max von Cito in the uh, star wars movie the um episode seven the force awakens where he is in the desert at the very beginning of it and he gets killed right away uh, he confronts kylo ren and it, it, that 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 is a his appearance there it's a cult casting because his appearance is designed Um, to conjure two of his earlier movies, Dune and The Exorcist, and it's to draw in some of the imagery of The Exorcist um, and uh, Dune and invest it into, transfer it into Star Wars The Force Awakens. What this is really kind of akin to is what the hermeticists call the art of memory um and this is what giordano bruno and people like raymond lully were talking about is that the meditation on these images in this case this actor um is designed to conjure something um and in this case again it's to conjure past roles conjure past movies and transfer imagery and themes of those past movies into the current one um and when i when i I came around to that Mode of thinking and, and understood it a little bit better. Um, it broadened my horizon because now I could, not now I see it a little differently. Where I, I, I still use the term I call casting, but it's really more akin to this art of memory mnemonic tricks that these filmmakers use. Um, and what I mean by that is another example of this would be The Exorcist, where um, I'll give you a, a, a clear cut example of, the, of like a mnemonic um, that is used, and that is the um, hook that Chris uses to go up into the attic Um, at the very beginning. This is where the demon is manifesting before it takes possession of the little girl. Um, If you pay attention to the movie, um, she goes up and she uses this giant rod with a hook on the end of it to pull down her (laughs) attic stairs to go up into the attic. Um, When you watch the exorcist, that prop, that hook is outside Reagan's bedroom, the entire movie. It, It doesn't move. And that's done on purpose. And it's done on purpose. It's a, it's a mnemonic. It's a trick. It's a trick that William Friedkin is messing around with. And it's done that every time you see it, it's going to draw your mind subconsciously back to the beginning of the movie to know that that's where the demon came from, from that attic. And that hook there leaning up against that door always reminds you, you know, it's the demon in the attics that's taken possession of the little girl. And that's really what you could classify as, you know, this art of memory mnemonic trick coming out of um, the Hermetic tradition of. Not not the original art of memory, but the ones talked about by people like Raymond Lully and Giordano Bruno. Um, that is really astounding. I mean, that just goes to show you, Richard, how adroit um, and clever and sophisticated these filmmakers are, um, and uh, they're, they're they're very expert at it.
1: So nothing happens by accident in a movie, just like in politics.
2: Uh, yeah. I mean, you, you could you could you could definitely say um, you know it, again it depends on the sophistication of the filmmaker. Um, you know, it, it, that's definitely intentional. Um, I could tell you an example of one of the first appearances of a demiurge in a film, and the director had no clue um, what he was filming. Um, but yet, they, I mean, it's a Gnostic film, but the director had no clue what Gnosticism was. And that's, of course, um, Bella Lugosi in the Ed Wood movie, Glen or Glenda, where Wood casts Lugosi as the Gnostic demiurge, as a Manichaean demiurge, as the god of the material world. Um, and that's completely by accident. Um, Ed Wood knew nothing about Gnosticism. Does, if you went up back in time to 1953 and said, hey, why did you Chaos Lugosi as a Gnostic Demiurge? Uh, Ed Wood wouldn't even have known what you were talking about. So again, we always have to allow for this idea of what we talked about earlier, this imagery coming down to the artist through some sort of subconscious ethereal realm um, and then winds up on the screen. But you're correct, Richard. Um, When you're dealing with these sophisticated movie makers, the William Friedkins of the world, the Darren Aronofsky's, the Aaron Astor's, the Roman Polanski's, yes, this is intentional.
1: He said, Ed Wood knew nothing about Gnosticism. Some might argue he knew nothing about filmmaking.
2: <laughs> I think, I, no, I think, I, think, I think you're onto something. I mean, his movies are so strange and so idiosyncratic. I mean, they're entertaining to watch, of course, but not for the uh, reasons that he envisioned. But um, yeah, I mean, he made these movies absolutely against his own talents as a filmmaker. I guess the, the one thing, I, I won't belabor this, but I will, I, will, I will say this. When you watch an Ed Wood movie, um, it is impossible and I'll say it again: it is impossible to confuse and his movies with that of another filmmaker. That cannot be done. If you watch Hitchcock's *The Psycho* and I were to say to you, "Maybe this was done by Stanley Kubrick or something," you know, or Polanski or something like that, yeah, you, you know, or Terrence Fisher or someone like that, you can say, "Yeah, maybe I can see a little overlap." No, when you watch an Ed Wood movie, there is an inherent junkiness and cheapness and just this this crazy dialogue that you will not find in another filmmaker's. Work of art. It is impo- It is impossible to to confuse an Ed Wood movie with that of another <laughs> filmmaker. Impossible.
1: Uh, so we, you've talked about Gnosticism and Kabbalah
2: and
1: uh, al- alchemy. There's another type of occult symbolism uh, in film that you talk about, and that is the Enochian tarot symbolism. So Enochian meaning from the Book of Enoch. I'm guessing. Right. Um, what is what? But what is Enochian symbolism?
2: Right. Well, I mean, it's 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 you get you get these um, you get tarot symbolism through the archetypes. Uh, a lot of the archetypal imagery um, appears, you know, for, on tarot cards. Uh, you know, and and you know, it's the archetypes: the fool, the son, the jester, the king. Uh, the queen, the mother, you know, the the, the child, um, the queen of swords. This is all archetypal ima- archetypal imagery coming out of the tarot. Uh, Enochian. Um, when we're dealing with Enochian, we're dealing with the Book of Enoch, um, and you will find Enochian themes in um, in films. The idea of the good guy coming down from the heavens uh, and, and becoming the hero. Um, and of course this reflects the Enochian tradition of the watcher angels being the provider of wisdom to humankind. And of course, one of the big, 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 uh, examples of that would be the transformer movies. You know, you could definitely look at the transformers as fallen angels, um, as watcher demons, you know, cast out from their own planet coming down to earth, but the earthlings love them. Um, so, you know, you know, you will, you will definitely, uh, you know, you know, it's again, it's another one of these elements that these filmmakers turn to when it comes to uh, crafting a film.
1: So, you're um, you just finished cinema symbolism three, but you've gone back into cinema symbolism one to sort of re-edit it. What's the thinking there?
2: Yeah, right, right. Well, so what I'm doing right now is. Um, the, the, my first four books, Cinema Symbolism 3, is done. There's some issues that I have, just some minor things I'm doing with my, um, my other books, Royal Arch, um, then the other two movie books and my work of fiction. I just want to tweak them a little bit. Um, it's not going to take that long of a project, maybe a year or two, but there's some things I want to straighten out and, um, You know, I'm going to maybe clarify a little more. One of the things with the Royal Arch of Enoch book was um, that I did, which I kind of regret doing, was there was material that I left out that I was going to craft around another book with. um, But it it doesn't work. Um, I can't do it. It it, it doesn't read right. So what I'm going to do is instead is go back and put this material in the Royal Arch of Enoch where where it really belongs. It'll increase the length of the book, but not by too bad, I don't think. And then there's some stuff in Cinema Symbolism, CS2, and even my work of fiction that I just want to tweak a little bit, some parts I didn't think I do it did a very good job of maybe explaining um, stuff like that. Again, just do a little clean up in aisle Seven on, on all my other previous four books. Um, so you know that that's kind of my next project. I've already started it, and um, I don't think it'll take me too long. And then once that gets done, maybe we'll talk about cinema symbolism. Four, we'll see.
1: How many movies do you watch a year?
2: Oh, I don't know. I don't. I don't really uh, count them or anything. There's ones that. Um, if, I, if I'm working or I'm editing or something, there's some that I just put on in the background just because I enjoy them. Um, I really don't go to the movie theater too much. I much more uh, prefer to watch them when they come out on Blu-ray. Um, you know, I can pause it and have to get up and do something or whatever or stop it altogether. Um, I, I, I I haven't been to a movie theater in quite some time. Um, I usually just watch, you know, watch them, um, you know, on, on the Blu-ray once the Blu-ray is released. Um, and there's some movies that I, I, I look forward to more than others, um, uh, you know the the one that's out right now that just looks that really looks like a. F- it's so it's funny because um, I said the Joker was runs parallel with Black Swan, and I've got a feeling that this movie runs parallel with Joker is the new Cru- Cruello movie um, with Emma Stone. I haven't seen it yet, but um, that's one that I'm very much looking forward to seeing. I have a I suspect based on what I've seen so far that I'm going to just of the commercials that that's going to have some. Uh, some alchemical uh, elements to it, if it were. Um, So no, I don't know how many I actually watch, but there's, there's some movies that I always throw in on the background, um, you know, that I, that are always, you know, near and dear to my heart. Um, I I always like the old universal horror movies with, you know, Karloff and Lugosi, um, some of the monster rally movies that they made after them, like house of Frankenstein and house of Dracula and Abbott and Costello me Frankenstein. Those are always some of my favorites. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, I watch, you know, if I get, if I'm writing and I'm editing and, you know, I have a lot of time on my hands where I'm doing, it, I set aside five or six hours, you know, I might throw on house of Frankenstein or house of Dracula. And then maybe I'll watch something newer, you know, uh, hereditary with Ari Aster, you know, I like the Vincent price movies. So, um, a lot of them I've seen, of course. You know, these are multiple viewings, but um, some of my all-time favorites, no question.
1: So you can go back, you know, to that that period before 2001. Now, in retrospect, and look and see, ah, you know, there are there's there's nine eleven. There's a nine eleven motif running through these. Oh, sure. Films, but can you can you look at movies that are coming out now, and and. You, you may not know what the motif is pointing towards exactly, except you may have some general sense. I don't know. Um, um, are, is there a trend? Are you seeing a motif that might be pre- predicting some other cataclysmic or transformative event, even though you can't quite put your finger on what it is?
2: No, not right now I haven't. Um, I haven't seen anything in... It, 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 it's one of those things you have to kind of go back because, you know, you're not... I mean you have to go back you have to wait for the event to happen and then go back and look because you know you wouldn't know to look for it otherwise um so you know it's kind of it's kind of like it's kind of almost like the curse of Nostradamus you you don't understand the quatrain until after the event happens and of course even then it's subject to vast interpretations um in the in the most recent movies I've seen I mean you know the 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 um I mean I didn't see anything in like Midsommar or anything like that that predicted anything or that had me worried um the last one that I saw that kind of that I thought kind of stood out was the Joker movie and and you go back and watch that you definitely see allusions to the uh George Floyd um riots and of course the thing with Trump um but no I haven't seen any uh anything in, in film that's caused me to have given me pause I'll put it to you like that um you know it would be hard it would hard to pick up on, um you know and before the event happens uh it usually becomes known once the event happens
1: right uh now do you think if you were to go back let's say rewind five six seven eight years you would pick up on a lot of um pandemic motifs although that's kind of hard because there are so many just overtly pandemic type movies out there
2: yeah that that that's uh that's that's too vague. i mean that's too general because like you said pandemic movies go back you know years i mean so uh you know I, I i can't i can't come on and say oh well this is predicting COVID or anything like that i mean pandemic movies good grief i mean you know you can go back you know to the 70s 60s you know 50s with that kind of stuff so um no i i i i wouldn't you know it's it's like a space alien movie i mean you know, this this has been you know this has been a subject of Hollywoods for years, and you know you, you know you can't say, oh well, this has to do with this Pentagon release about the you know no, I mean you know this is just you know this is just a favorite theme in Hollywood. Um, same with pandemics, stuff like that. So no, I mean I I I think that's too broad, too broad of a spectrum to um, to say you know that that was pr- predicting anything. I, I just think it's it's too broad.
1: Uh, do certain directors work exclusively with one type of of symbolism so for example if i were to say stanley kubrick would you say well he's gnosticism or he's hermetical or he's kabbalah
2: no because the good the good the the good directors who are good at this mix it up they don't stay to one thing um the directors that are very good at it uh um you know it's like a salad bar they pick and choose um because, like, like, Kubrick will use repetition in The Shining, but then he'll use something else in Eyes Wide Shut. Um, and and that, that, to me, is the hallmark of, a, of an expert craftsman. Um, the, 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 the filmmakers who are really good with this stuff mix it up. They'll use Hermeticism in this or Kabbalah in this or Gnosticism in this. But then, it, you know, they, they change it out. So, you know, you know I, I, I guess, you know, like, like, like Aronofsky, You know you watch black swan and you see a lot of alchemical symbolism this transition of this young ballerina into a bird um or certainly into a bird bird like creature i guess is the better word Um, but then you watch something like mother which is overloaded with kabbalah and um gnostic thought so you know he he knows what he's doing he um he mixes it up and kubrick does too and i think all the great filmmakers that really know what they're doing um you know they won't stick to the same motif, they won't stick to the same theme. They mix it up. Uh, that's what I've noticed, at any rate.
1: What about someone like Ridley Scott?
2: Yeah, well, sure. Uh, you get into the Alien movies, um, you know. And again, you 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 know, he he. I don't know if he did Part Three, but again, you'll see. Um, you know, I, I I talked about this in the first book you know, with the, I can't remember what it is, but the name of the spaceship that she's on had, had meaning the Nostromo. I can't, I can't remember what it was though. It's in the first book. Um, mm. and then I don't think he did part three where this is where Ripley becomes the Christ figure, you know, and dies cruciform, (coughs) sacrificing herself, going backwards into the uh, fire, um, to, to save, to save the, people from the uh, space alien, the Xenomorph. And then of course she becomes resurrected, you know, in the next one. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, Ridley Scott, um, Stanley Kubrick, Ari Aster to me is, you know, Polanski, another one, Alfred Hitchcock. uh, You know, even, you know, you go back to the very first, the dawn of cinema with um, Fritz Lang, Metropolis. You know, again, you're dealing with a very Gnostic movie with the one guy being sort of the demiurgic creator of the metropolis and, you know, the, uh, you know, separation, you know, the, the people underground or keep the people are, pre- are oppressed, but they're the more spiritual and the people who are obsessed with materialism, the people up top are just, you know, hollow, hollow shells. So, uh, you know, metropolis, a very Gnostic film. So, um. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, again, it just depends on the uh, sophistication of the filmmaker. It depends on, you know, how adroit they are. But you know, again, these guys know what they're doing. They're, you you pretty you know you can find it.
1: You mentioned Black Swan a couple of times as just being you know almost endless in terms of the the yes. occult symbolism. Is there another film that is just you you marvel at how how layered it is and how deep sure. it is?
2: Yeah, I, absolutely. Um, the, the two Ari Aster movies, Midsommar and Hereditary, I think are very deep. They're very layered. Um, Kubrick's The Shining, I, I would throw up there. Um, you could throw, you could put in the other Aronofsky movie, Mother, that's very layered. Um, Midsommar is very complex because that's like The Wizard of Oz. Um, and it is the Wizard of Oz. It, it's multi-layered. You get you get the story, but then you get this Wizard of Oz theme with it, and then you get the whole thing with the Futhark runes. Um, so that's you know that's one of those ones that's multi-layered, like the Wizard of Oz. And the movie is the Wizard of Oz. So you you got a lot going on in that one. Um, yeah, Kubrick's The Shining uh, is is a good one. Um, I I always found that you know it's one of those ones you kind of maybe not think so, but. Um, the uh, Sy- Psycho by, by Hitchcock has a lot going on in it, in it. Um, that may, may surprise a lot of people. Um, that's an interesting one. The uh, painting that Norman Bates uses to cover his keyhole is, is replete with uh, esoteric meaning. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, so those are the ones that t- jump off the top of my head would be those. Those are ones that like you, you – I, when I watch them, they're very multilayered.
1: Cinema Symbolism 3, how do we get a copy, Robert?
2: yeah absolutely well thank you Richard for having me on it's been my pleasure to be here and uh, the book is released again this is the uh, print edition and the Kindle they are both released Uh, you can find them on Amazon all the major online booksellers Amazon Barnes & Noble books a million this will be Amazon of course globally whether you're in England Canada you know Germany it will be there Um, you can just go to Amazon and type it in Um, if if you want the direct links you can go to my website it's very easy to navigate my website is my name Um, my name is robert w sullivan the fourth so my website is robert w sullivan iv the letter i the letter v for the fourth dot com. Um, go there there are links to purchase the books there are is information about shows and podcasts that i'm doing upcoming um, information about me if you want to read my bi- biography um, and again events and appearances I have a blog there that's r- r- uh, routinely updated about events and news and things like that so yeah the book you can you can access it through my website at, at, at the uh, online site or you can just go to the online site do a search You'll, I'm sure it'll come up
1: hey Robert thanks so much for this and I'll talk to you soon on Coast to Coast
2: yes Richard I look very much forward to it